What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and you guys absolutely loved my double hero RB draft strategy video from a couple weeks ago. We were in the dead spot of the fantasy summer, and you guys blew that video up for like 14, 15,000 views. I want to say it's like a top 10 most viewed video on this channel all time. Crazy stuff. Now, if you haven't seen it, I will try and link it up here. But the whole idea of Double Hero RB is in those first two rounds, we're taking swings on running backs with legendary upside. And then we're not drafting running backs from rounds three through seven. And then rounds eight on, you can take a couple stabs at the position. Now, you're going to hear legendary upside. And you're like, what the hell is that? We're going to cover that in a second. And then we're also going to cover my top three running back targets in Hero RB build. So those first two rounds that I believe have legendary upside. So with that being said, if you enjoyed the video at any point in time, make sure you go down below, subscribe leave a like let's go all right so i'm going to timestamp this video but up top here we're going to talk about what we're really chasing at running back what legendary upside is kind of the whole thesis behind the profile of running back that we want in these builds and generally speaking wide receivers across the board are safer than running backs they don't get hurt their seasonal projections are a little bit more stable so when we take the risk on running backs early in hero rb builds double hero rb builds this whole video is just going to be surrounded around hero rb and double hero rb so i'm just going to refer to it as hero rb taking a running back in those first two rounds or two running backs in those first two rounds but when we're taking running back early it's not to lock in steady rb1 production and then build around them it's to take a massive home run swing on a league winning type running back i'm like taking a hack at it like just cranking the launch angle and if you whiff you whiff but at the very least you're chasing that league winning upside and this is because at running back i don't believe there is such thing as a safe floor at running back i think this is one of the more misconstrued things in fantasy is that you can just draft a running back in the first round that is very safe that's locked into a lot of volume and projection i think that we kind of saw the the downfall of that with zeke last year i think we also saw the downfall of that with derrick henry last year where derrick henry wasn't a safe floor from a volume standpoint people thought he's this big running back that's never really had injury problems that he'd be fine now he was amazing through eight weeks and then he got hurt so no running back is immune to injury to just busting in general it is a very shaky position so when we're looking at this chart here by Pat Corrine, I link this article all the time. I'll put it down below, but he had a really good article about legendary running backs. And now we need to be chasing that upside. He coined the term legendary upside. And when we look at this chart that he had in his article, we're looking at the bust rate. So players that have under a 5% win rate in best ball. Now we're going to be using a lot of best ball stats here. And I know a lot of people like to jump to conclusion and say, best ball stats don't ma matter for managed redraft leagues, but they do because there's no way that you can take in data from ESPN leagues or fantasy pros leagues or Yahoo leagues or whatever, and have meaningful takeaways from that data because you have so much moving parts, you have trades happening. You have like, I remember me and like my boys in middle school would make like a, a random free league on NFL.com and not touch it or things would, it would be like an eight man league. So there's a lot of different variables at stake, but when you take into account best ball data where there's thousands and thousands and thousands of, of leagues, with no transactions. So it is one of the more clean data sets we can look at. And then we can apply that to our redraft managed league analysis. So when we're talking about bust rate, this is players with win rates under 5%. Now, one in 12 is 8.3%. So the average player has a win rate of 8.3%, one out of 12. So if you're under 5%, you're really hurting your team, especially being a top three round draft pick. So when we look at this in rounds one to three, running backs are busting anywhere from 40 
what's that, like almost 45% in round one, all the way to like 35% through round three, while wide receivers are much safer in this range. Now, obviously round two, they even out, but when you're looking at round one, only like a 25% bust rate, and we look at round three, wide receivers are busting only like 15% of the time. So they are much safer in that range to grab wide receivers. So the whole point that I'm getting to here is that if we're drafting a running back early, it's not to lock in a floor, it's to chase upside that we can't replicate at wide receiver. And this is what I mean by that. When we look at the legendary seasons of all time, this is Pat Green. He, he defined legendary seasons as a 20% or better win rate. So this takes your odds of winning a league from 1 out of 12 to 1 out of 5 just by rostering this player on your team. These are the, the players who had a legendary win rate but were drafted in the first two rounds since 2015. And we're looking at nine players. Six are running backs, two are wide receivers, one is a tight end. The only players on this list to surpass a 25% win rate are the four running backs, McCaffrey twice, Gurley, David Johnson. So we see that running backs have more legendary seasons than wide receivers as a whole, and they offer the most upside having that 25% plus range. Even with McCaffrey, 36.9% is insane. Todd Gurley, 30.8%. So that McCaffrey season takes your odds of winning a league from one out of 12 to like one out of three. It's wild. So that these are the types of profiles. These are the types of guys we want to be taking swings on in those first two rounds because, the, again, the whole idea is that we're not shooting for floor. If we want to take on that 40% first-round bust risk of a running back, it's to get access to this right here. That is the whole idea. Now, when we are talking about these legendary running backs, we have McCaffrey twice, we have Gurley, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Alvin Kamara. That's six running backs since 2016. Now... I kind of want to apply that to 2022 and kind of look at like the anatomy of what a, a legendary running back looks like. And it's a really small sample. There's only six individual seasons. So I don't think we can make super, super, super firm assumptions, but I think it's fair to aim for these three targets or three qualities that we're looking for in running backs to have a legendary type season. So these are things that we want these running backs to fit the profile of. And I think at the top, we want youth. Two of these running backs were in year two, which were McCaffrey in year two, David Johnson in year two. Two of these running backs were in year three, which was McCaffrey and Todd Gurley. And then we have Kamara in year four, Le'Veon Bell in year five. So four out of six of them were in the first two, three years of their career. That's ideally where we want them. As you guys can see, the average is like 3.2. We know that running backs deteriorate. We want running backs at least in the first five seasons of their career. And if it's year two or year three, that's even better. Now, the next thing that we kind of want here on top of youth is pass catching upside five out of six of these running backs had 100 plus receptions in their legendary seasons all of them hovered in that 18 to 24 percent target share range we also want them to score a lot of ppr points which is a given but we also want to know what range we're, we're aiming for right we had eckler and jonathan taylor last year went in the first two rounds were amazing but neither of them qualified qualified for legendary running back status they were both in like the 15 16 percent range because they were both only around like 21 22 points per game we want at least 23 points per game. That's right around where Le'Veon Bell was, 22.8. But the rest of them are in that 24 all the way to 29 where McCaffrey was. But ideally, we want 23 to 25 points per game, probably more like 24, 25 points per game. I'll also add on top of that, these are all elite talents, right? None of these, none of these running backs got legendary seasons by just being volume-driven guys who just got so many touches they had to produce these are guys who at the time of each of those seasons were at the very least like top five elite talents at their position so you're not really going to find 
legendary upside running backs, but just following the weighted opportunities and getting players who have the most volume. Now, obviously, a lot of these guys commanded a ton of volume, but also all of them were good players at that time. Now, that's a little bit subjective, but I think we can agree that all of those guys were like top three to five running backs at their position in that season. Now, let's look at three running backs here that I believe have a path to legendary upside outside of the obvious Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey up top. We're going to talk about the rest of the running backs. And just a disclaimer, we are going to be focusing on the upside case for all of these guys. So our solving for X is how does this player get to a 20% plus win rate? And the first guy we're going to talk about is DeAndre Swift. And when it comes to DeAndre Swift's upside case, we have a couple of things giving him momentum right now. Nope, I was meant to throw this on the screen. He goes to the 203 as the RB8. And when we talk about the factors that he has going for him in terms of having a legendary running back season this year, he's young, right? So he fits the youth category. He's 23 years old. He's heading into year three. That already checks off the youth requirement. Now, here's the issue. We don't know that he can be an elite talent. He hasn't shown that yet. But his youth gives us enough uncertainty heading into year three that a jump, a leap is in his range. We know that players in those first three years, they make jumps, they make strides, they improve on their previous seasons. And when we look at DeAndre Swift, the reason why I think that he can be an elite talent is just be, is because of how damn good his prospect profile was. Now, I know he's in year three, so I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about him in school because I know people don't like that. But one of the most damning pieces of evidence on his profile is his Lance Z grade. Now, Lance Zierlein, he works for NFL.com. He's their leading draft analyst, and his, he does draft grades, draft grades for every player that gets drafted since like 2014. Now, you can say what you want about his grades, whatever, but in terms of running back, they, they pretty much beat out like draft capital. They are one of the most predictive stats out there for running backs. When we look at running backs to earn a 6.71 grade or better, we have seven running backs. We have Saquon Barkley, Zeke, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, and DeAndre Swift. Six of the running backs in this group have top five point per game seasons. We have Saquon, Zeke, Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley. It's a really, really strong list of running backs to be group, grouped in with. And he has the receiving part of the legendary upside profile as well. He had an 18.2% target share last year second in the NFL, and that was just in year two. So he has a lot of room to grow. He had an 18.2% target share. Again, we're aiming for 18 to 24, so he's already in that range, but I think he can take just even a little bit more of a step forward, maybe to like 19, 20, 21% target share. And this is kind of where we have to start solving that equation because we have a young pass-catching running back, can he get to 23-plus points per game? And I think it's in his range. When we look at last year, he was the RB8 in points per game with 16.1. But I think that that doesn't do him justice. If we look at the 11 games prior to his injury on Thanksgiving Day, which was such a sad day for myself, um, I think that the games after that, you have a game where he was hurt, and then he has three games after that that are all kind of skewed because he's coming back from injury, all of that. If you just look at the first 11 games prior to the injury, he was averaging 18.5 points per game in what would have been the RB3 in points per game on the season below Eckler, above Fournette. That's the kind of season he was already having in year two. Now, the interesting part is he only had six touchdowns in that 11-game span. He's due for regression. He touches the ball too many times to, to score six touchdowns again. 
this offense is also taking a lot of step forwards. I think they're going to step. I think they're going to score more points. The offensive line is amazing. It's the number three ranked O line per PFF. You have Taylor Decker on one side. You have Penny Sewell on the other. I think Ragnow is amazing. I'm not a big offensive line guy, but that's a very solid offensive line right there. I'm actually I'm really excited to see what Penny Sewell is going to be in the NFL after kind of the Chase Sewell debates, but. The wide receivers are better. They bring in DJ Chark. They bring in Jamison Williams. They bring in, or Amon Ross St. Brown's going to be there in year two. We know those guys take steps. We have TJ Hawkinson, who's now going to be in, I want to say like year four at this point. He's going to be healthy this year. You have Jared Goff in year two under this new system. I actually love the Lions to be the sneaky, good offense for fantasy. And in this legendary upside for Swift, I think that in terms of, we're talking about his top like 10, 5 percentile outcome. He has access to, 20% plus target share upside. I think he could hit double-digit touchdowns. He hit 6 and 11 games last year. If he plays 16 games this year, 17 games this year, I don't think it's crazy to see like 10 to 15 touchdowns, 10 to 12 touchdowns. Again, remember, he's getting touches out of the backfield and he's getting touches in the receiving game. And then you, you could also see a role expansion. So you could see Jamal Williams kind of fade away and you could see them really rely on DeAndre Swift as their bell cow in year three. So I think that you have a lot of momentum coming up for DeAndre Swift to have his legendary running back season in year three. Now, the next running back we'll talk about here is Saquon Barkley. I'm going to take a little sip of water. Guys, it's it's hot down here. We're in the basement. I have AC, but here's the issue. When I turn the AC on, it just it, it's so loud. I hate the it ruins the audio on these videos. So now pretty much what I do is I, I set it to as cold as possible before these videos start and I turn it off and I hit record and now I'm midway through. I'm sweating a little bit, but again, this is this is where we're forged in fire in the basement. We're we're warriors. We're we're firemen. I don't know if you guys ever seen that, but there's like a, a boxing video where the guy's like in the corner and the uh, his coach is like yelling at him. He's like, "We're firemen. We're born in the fire. This is what we this is what we train for." That's me right now talking about legendary upside running backs in my mother's basement. But now we're going to talk about Saquon Barkley. He's going to the 206 of the RB10, and his, his ADP keeps rising. It's very annoying. I've been talking about him pretty much all offseason. I was getting him in the third round on underdog. Now he's at the 206. He's going to keep climbing, fellas. He's going to be one-two turn type guy very soon. I, I recommend all of you guys go to Underdog Fantasy. He's 206 right now. You can draft him on Underdog. Use promo code RON. I'll flash, I'll flash the graphic real quick. Wrong graphic. But you can draft him on Underdog at 206. I'm telling you guys, by the time you get to your home league, by the time we get to late August, he's going to be a one-two turn pick. It's going to suck, but uh, I would get the value while you can. So when we talk about Saquon Barkley... The reason I like him is pretty simple. He's already had a legendary running back season. He just happened to have it during one of the best years for running backs in the last five years. Now, you might say, like, what do you mean he's had legendary running back season? He hasn't had 20% plus win rate. Here's the thing. He hasn't had an official legendary running back season, but when we look at the, the season that he had as a rookie, he had a 18.1% win rate in 2018. The thing was, is that again, he was in a year that was stacked at running back. When we just look at running backs drafted in the first two rounds, we had McCaffrey average 24 points per game. We had Gurley average 26 points per game, but he missed a couple of games. So that kind of screwed up his win rate. And you had Kamara at 23 points per game. And again, that is just in the first two rounds. Whereas this year, this past year in 2021, we had zero running backs finish with 23 plus points per game, where we had four just from the first two rounds in 2018. So when we look at Saquon Barkley and what he did in 2018, the win rate didn't live up to it. But when you look across the board at that screenshot that I showed earlier, when it came down to him or, or when it came down to just legendary running backs in general, he fits the part in my eyes. When we look at youth, he has it one year of experience. He was a rookie that year. It would have been absolutely insane if he had a legendary running back season as a rookie. That's how insane he was. Again, 
rookie, and he was doing this. Then you go one over, target share, 21%, checks that box. 24 points per game, checks that box as well. Match what McCaffrey did in 2018. I think it just came down to the fact that maybe it was where they were drafted. Yeah, it, was, it was just that McCaffrey was a 16.7 guy, so he was like a, a early to mid-second where Saquon Barkley was a first-round pick. That's literally all it came down to. His win rate was a 18.1%, super, super close. So now, fast forward to year five, and I can't quit Saquon because we have seen the ceiling. We saw what it looks like. Now, he doesn't have youth on his side. He's going into year five. So he fits into that Le'Veon Bell, Kamara type category where he no longer has that youth mystical stuff on his side. But again, we've already seen the upside. And that was in year one. People usually improve on the rookie season. I'm not saying that Saquon can improve on that rookie season, but I have a hard time zooming out and saying the legendary prospect that was Saquon Barkley, second overall in the NFL draft, one of the craziest prospects we've ever seen, then goes on to average 24 points per game in year one has just peaked, isn't the same player, all of that. Again, this is a mega, crazy, freak athlete, insane quads, ran like what? Ran like a 4'4 at 230. He's insane. Again, he's just 25 years old in year five. He's in the prime of his career. I think he's literally like six months older than Najee Harris. I don't think that he's dust. That's literally what it comes down to. I don't think he's dust. He's in the prime of his career. We're now two years removed from that ACL tear. And I, I have a hard time believing that his freak athlete days are over. It's not like he's 30 years old. This is still Saquon. This is 25-year-old Saquon. This is two years removed from an ACL Saquon. This is the most fresh Saquon that we have had in some time. Now, even last year, we saw him be eerily similar to the Saquon that we knew, right? So he was sort of eased in in week one. Week two, he played a tough Washington defense. And then against, against Atlanta, he had 21.4 points. Against New Orleans, he had 29.6 points. Two back-to-back 20-point games, and then he like sprains an ankle in week five, which is actually one of the better case scenarios that he kind of had to get shut down and stuff because now he's fresh coming into this year. And this the, the profile of Saquon in 2022 feels really similar to Kamara in 2020, where he was coming off that down year where he had like a high ankle sprain, and then he comes out there, erupts, has like the six touchdowns on Christmas Day, and is a league winner. I think that is the path Saquon's on. Also remember, he tore his ACL two years ago. He's also had Jason Garrett calling plays for him the last two, three years. And there's reason to have more hope than ever heading into 2022 now because he has a whole new Giants team around him in terms of new coaches, new GM. You have Brian Dabble, who's going to come in and he's going to score points. He's going to want to throw the ball. He's a guy that, even though I don't love leaning into coach narratives, he's a guy that I'm willing to make that exception for. Now, hold on. I have a really good graphic that I forgot to put in here. All right, so here it is. And we see... Dabble takes over in 2018, and this is the early down pass frequency in neutral game scripts, so no garbage time, no third and longs, just in a neutral pass setting, how much, or neutral game setting, how much are you passing the ball? And since 2018, remember, Josh Allen has only been really good in 2020 and 2021, so these still take into account 2018 and 2019. And we see through that time period, he has had the third highest neutral pass rate on the Bills. Now, this is not only good because we want Saquon to see a huge uptick in targets, but because passing the ball a lot is a great sign of a forward-thinking play caller. We can see the Chiefs and the Buccaneers are up top, which is amazing. We have the Rams in that range. We have the Packers in that range. Just a lot of really good fantasy football offenses are up there. Now, this is going to be a little bit of the drawback on Saquon. I think a lot of people are going to make, I don't want to say the dumb claim, but they're going to be like, oh, well, what fantasy running backs has Brian Dable produced? Here's the thing, fellas. Good coaches, we're going to get into this in a second. Good coaches take 
their best players and use them to the best of their abilities. Here's the issue with Brian Dable. Since 2018, these are the running backs that he's had. A 30-year-old LaShawn McCoy, a pretty much on his deathbed Frank Gore, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss. Is he supposed to make one of those guys a top 12 running back? And I would argue if he did make one of those guys a top 12 running back, he probably wouldn't still be employed. Um, So that I think is a baseless claim. Now, again, Dabble is the kind of coach that wants to bend his scheme around the talent of his players. And that is all I can ask for. Now, these are some some X-rated quotes from Brian Dabble. I'll pull up right now. And this is from, uh, dude, I went onto NJ.com and found some interview quotes from Brian Dabble. And this is what he said. He said, you try to do as much work as you can on these guys before they get here to see what they have been successful at or successful at and figure out how to use them in the things that they've excelled at, Brian Dable said, which is amazing. We want that. We want somebody that figures out what players had success with and not try and put a round peg in a square hole, but try and alter the offense a little bit around the strengths of his players. Now, with Saquon in particular, he goes on to say, I'd say I've had some good running backs in my career, Dable said, but Saquon is a unique guy. If you go back, I've watched all of his tape all the way back from his rookie year when he had 91 catches. He's a versatile player. I'm excited to work with him. Come on, dude. This guy is going back and watching rookie year film of Saquon Barkley. If you watch rookie year film of Saquon Barkley, you have no choice but to give him more work in the passing game. And that's all we want. That's all we want. Now, I think maybe a 21% target share like he saw in his rookie year might be tough, especially with a running quarterback like Daniel Jones. But I think 18 to 19% is well within his range, along with a, a crazy amount of upside where he breaks away home run plays all the time. And he also has this upside that Brian Dable, I'm not going to call him a QB whisperer, but I mean, Josh Allen was a really raw guy coming out of school and he really developed him into a good quarterback there's a chance that Dable gets there and he gets Dan- Daniel Jones to take some strides and not become Josh Allen MVP candidate but become a serviceable starting NFL quarterback where you can inject some more efficiency some more scoring into this offense and I essentially say all this to say that we've seen Saquon Barkley check the boxes of a legendary running back as a rookie he's not 30 He's 25, and he now gets the best situation of his entire career behind an improved offensive line. We have Andrew Thomas coming into year three. They got the other big Alabama tackle and Evan Neal on the other side. It's exciting, man. This is one of the best O-lines he's ever had. This is going to be one of the most modern offenses he's ever been in, where Dable's going to run a lot more of three, four wide receiver sets, really lighten up those boxes for him, get him involved in the passing game, all things that Jason Garrett has no idea how to do. So it's really exciting. His ADP is only going to climb, but if I am making a hero RB or double hero RB build, Saquon Barkley is a guy that I'm routinely trying to get in there. So now we go on to our third one. And this is where things are a lot more shaky for me. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm very firm. I think Saquon, DeAndre Swift, I think one of those guys, I think if there is a 20, if there's a 20% win rate running back from the first two rounds and it's not JT or CMC, I think it's Swift or it's Saquon. I, I'm, I'm very firm I'm very firm that I think if it's any of them in the first two rounds, it's one of those two. Now, if I had to pick a dark horse, number three, this is who I would pick. And it's Javante Williams. And this one, again, is a little bit more shaky for me. Up top, he is the he's going off the board at the 212 RB14. So he just barely sneaks in there. He's the 24.6. You can make that the 301 if you want. Well, 212 for this video. He very obviously checks the box of being young. He's 22 years old. He's heading into year two. He's got that on his side. But from there is where we're relying on a lot of projection, a lot of imagination, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of projection, but you kind of have to squint to see it. Now, I will say a big plus is that he goes at the back end of the second. So like we saw earlier where Staquan had 24 points per game, but was drafted at like 108 and McCaffrey was drafted at like the 205 and had 24 points per game as well. And he had 27% win rate, Saquon had an 18% win rate. So 
the farther back in ADP you are, the less points per game you probably need. So while a guy like Swift at 203 or even anybody, like somebody like McCaffrey or Saquon or McCaffrey and JT up top, they probably need 24 plus points per game. I think Javante could probably get away with like 21.5, 22, 20, 22.5. Maybe I'm stretching that though. I think I, I want to say 23 points per game is the floor we're heading for. And I think the biggest mountain for Javante to climb is going to be that 18% plus target share. He was at 10.2% last year, which is good, uh, but we'll need to take, he'll have to take a really big step forward, right? 10% to 18% is not a small gap to close. He's also competing with Cortland Sutton. He's competing with Jerry Judy. He's competing with Albert O. Even Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler are pretty good targets. He also splitting snaps with Melvin Gordon. So it's a little bit tough. Now it's hard to project a target ceiling for a player. So I wanted to see the rookie year target shares from the legendary running backs. Let's take a look at that real quick. We look at the legendary running backs from earlier and we look at their year one target shares. It's pretty clear that Javante isn't the type of guy of McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara or even Le'Veon Bell in that 14 to 23% target share range as a rookie, but he kind of fits in that girly David Johnson range where they both had rookie target shares in that 10% range. And David Johnson actually had 10.3% target shares as a rookie and then had an 18.8% target share in year two. So that's a very similar jump to what we're looking at with Javante. Now, I think an even clearer picture is to probably look at some comps for Javante of guys who profile similarly to him and see kind of how they jumped in target share from year one to year two. So I dug into the database. This is a little bit of a crossover episode where I would dig into this database a lot for Dynasty. And what I have here is we're looking at prospect tiers. And I have a whole prospect model that has, uh, it's called the RS grading system. And pretty much what it spits out is prospect tiers here. Elite running backs hit top 12 seasons at, I believe, a 75% rate or 80% rate. Gold is around the coin flip. Javante is elite, but that doesn't matter if what we're looking at here. I looked up running backs that had similar similar grades, so gold and elite running backs, and running backs that had similar year one points per game and year one target shares to Javante Williams. And we get a sample of about seven running backs that all had in that range of, Javante had 12, 12 points per game and 10 percent target share i did about 20 percent above and 20 percent below we have ray rice who was in that eight point per game spot but had a 12 percent target share we're looking at david johnson swift lashawn mccoy tj yeldon darren mcfadden clyde edwards it's a decent list now the thing that we're really zeroing in on is not so much are these players good but what did their target share look like in year two and of the seven running backs, four of them went on to reach a 17% or better target share the following year, which is actually super promising. I thought it would only be like one or two, but over half of the sample is nice. Now, my model is called the RS grading system. It spits out grades for each aspect of a prospect's profile, right? So I also put the receiving grade here on the far right. And this is where it's a little bit less promising, where Javante had a B minus receiving grade. The only other guys that also had a B minus were Ray Rice. TJ Yeldon, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Sadly, only Ray Rice made the top. You can put Swift in that same category, but I wouldn't because he only had a B because he wasn't utilized at, on an every down roll. But you can say the same about Javante with Michael Carter. So maybe Javante should be a little bit higher. Maybe DeAndre Swift should be a little bit higher. But he falls in the lower end of the spectrum when it comes to receiving grade among this group with LaShawn McCoy and David Johnson being really good receiving backs. So... I wouldn't project him for an 18% target share, but I think it's definitely in his range. It's also important to note 
He had like a 10.2% target share last year on only about 50% of the snaps. That could very easily jump to like 60 to 65% of the snaps. So there is room to grow just by being on the field more, by jumping into year two. That is in his range. I think the most likely comp for him would be Ray Rice, where he goes from about eight points per game, 12% target share, this time 12 points per game, 10% target share, and then takes that leap, even though he wasn't a really good receiver in college. Now, I actually think that he was a good receiver in college. I think that his market share numbers are just a little bit lower because of Michael Carter in school. I think it's actually pretty impressive that he still maintained a B minus receiving grade despite having Michael Carter there. Now, when we move on to his point per game ceiling, I like it a lot if you can take that next step in target share. We need 17, 18% target share. Again, I think that's a lot, but when we're talking about the high upside case of Javante, I think it's there. I think it's like the top five percentile outcome, a 17% plus target share, but it's there. Now, he's going to have Russell Wilson. So when we talk about a 23-point-per-game-plus uh, ceiling, that is there. It's going to be a great environment. He's going to be in the mix for 10-plus touchdowns, 20-plus points per game. Just by being on the same team as Russell Wilson, is going to score a ton of points and be super efficient. Now, I know a lot of you guys are going to say, well, what about Melvin Gordon? He's a big holdup for a lot of people. And for me, when we're talking about the upside case of a running back, Melvin Gordon doesn't really affect Javante's upside case. And... Remember, when I'm drafting running backs early, I'm swinging on upside. So Melvin Gordon doesn't factor in a ton for me when it comes to Javante Williams. And this is why. Bell cow running backs are kind of extinct, man. We only had five running backs last year exceed a 60% snap share or more in 2021. So the days of multiple bell cow running backs is sort of gone. And we're talking about Javante Williams, who's the RB14 and ADP. And last year, only five running backs had over 60% snap share. So we're already at a bell cow range and when we're taking swings. I love to buy into that uncertainty or just that fear of Melvin Gordon. I will take the other side of that bet on Javante. And they had a very clean 50-50 split last year. I don't see it being the same because we can expect big jumps from year one to year two for players. We saw Jonathan Taylor last year. He was a 48.1% snap share guy in year one. He rose to a 68.6% target or snap share guy in year two. Melvin Gordon is now a year older. He could regress. And then he's also in this spot where there's a new coaching staff. Melvin Gordon was a free agent for a while, kind of testing the waters, and then he came back on a discounted deal. Denver didn't show that they really wanted him a ton. Again, there's no continuity with the last coaching staff, so he now has to like kind of prove his role all over again with a new coaching staff. There's a there's a chance that the, this new coaching staff just wants to make Javante their guy and, and Melvin Gordon be the change of pace guy. And we also kind of have to understand the NFL is random and backfields rarely stay as stable as stable as the Broncos did last year it was a clean 50 50 the entire year most backfields are super chaotic we saw last year with Los Angeles we had K makers was going to be the bell cow oh he gets hurt then Henderson was the bell cow then there was like the split between Henderson and Sony Michelle and then Sony Michelle was the lead back same thing in Green Bay where Aaron Jones was the bell cow early on and then AJ Dillon worked into a committee role and then Aaron Jones gets hurt and then AJ Dillon's this fantasy stud for a few weeks crazy things happen all the time in the NFL, it is really rare for two running backs to stay healthy and maintain the exact same split for an entire season. I understand it happened last year, but I think if you're projecting it to be an exact 50-50 split again, you're pretty much betting on lightning to, to strike twice. I think that it's very likely that if, if you don't want to admit 65-35% split, I think 60-40 sounds about fair to start the season. Now, again, this is purely a projection, but this is the kind of profile we want to be taking swings on. He's an ascending 22-year-old running back with a ton of juice. I didn't even mention like his missed tackles force metrics are amazing. He looked amazing on the field. He also surged a little bit towards the end where Melvin Gordon fell back a little bit. I would also say that Melvin Gordon kind of got 
blown up from that first week where he had like a 99-yard touchdown. And when we think about it, with Javante Williams, late second-round pick, he doesn't need to like blow up, blow up to be a legendary running back. I could also see if he's not a legendary running back by definition of a 20% win rate, it's very easy for me to see Javante Williams have this Jonathan Taylor rookie year-esque run where the final eight weeks of the season, he has like a 22, 23-point-per-game type run and is a guy that is on a lot of championship teams in 2022. So that's going to do it for us today. Those are my three locked and loaded legendary upside running back targets in those first two rounds. Now, obviously, I'm taking swings at Derrick Henry, Najee Harris is when they fall to me and stuff. I'm not just drafting these guys, but at their cost, these are the three guys that I am most confident in have the profiles of a legendary upside running back for 2022. So as always, if you enjoyed the video, make sure you down below, subscribe, leave a like. I also have my early top 150 PPR redraft rankings out where I'm going to start pushing this later on and I'm going to, I kind of got to refine it. It's top 150. I want to get it to top 250 very soon, but I have it set up. So I have those running backs pushed up into those top two rounds, right? The running backs, I believe should make those builds. And then I have scarce amount of running backs from there through the dead zone, essentially. And my rankings are set up in a way so that you almost naturally flow into one of my favorite strategies, whether that's taking two running backs up top and not taking them until the end or taking one running back up top and, you know, going like Jefferson and then going Javante and then not taking a running back until round eight and kind of doing a hero RB build. I have that set in a way that if you just drafted straight off of the rankings, it would set you up in an optimal spot with one of these strategies that I'm, t I'm talking about. I think I'm gonna make a video in a couple of weeks where I go over sort of all of my strategies. I don't want to go over each of them in depth because I kind of want to, I want to save those a little bit for uh, August when things are really popping, but I'll give you guys little bits and pieces like I did with that double hero RB video. So doing a lot of rambling here as always. I love you guys and I will see you in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Channel, on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.